There was a uh, missionary who was sent to Africa. And after they showed him around to all the different uh, facilities that were available to him, they showed him the car. And they said, you got the car, there's only one problem with it. You have to push it. And so he got a few people to push it, and sure enough, it started. So he tried to figure out how he's going to use this car for his duration of his, or the tenure of his ministry there. And uh, he did. He figured out where the hills were so he could park the car on the hill and pop the clutch and take off. And when he had to park in places that there were no hills, then of course he had some good people who came by and helped him push it. He got started. He did that for six years. And finally a new missionary came in and uh, he did the same thing to him. Showed him around the facilities, etc and then show them the car. It's just an excellent car. It works. It's just one catch. You got to push it. Well, the new missionary looked around the car, looked okay, and finally uh, opened up the hood, looked inside, motor compartment. Everything looked intact except he noticed that there was a wire dangling. And so he took a screwdriver, connected the wire, went inside, turned the key, and boom, off it went. <laughs> so for six years, the other missionary was pushing the car and figuring out ways to keep the thing going. And all it took was to connect the power. That's all it took. Let's pray together. Our Father, as we study your word today, we pray for your leading, your spirit to be here with us. Thank you for hearing us in Jesus' name. Amen. The wonderful text that we begin with is Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8. I'm sure most of you can quote it. For by grace, grace are ye saved. saved. Then it says through what? Through faith, not of yourself. It is the gift of God. I've been to many Sabbath school classes and the question that I hear asked is what is grace? And the definition usually is what? I merited what? Favor. But let me ask you a question. When you think of the term unmerited and favor, those are two words, what is the definition of unmerited? Something you don't deserve, correct? Favor, some favor. But does that tell you what grace is? Does it? Well, does it? No, it doesn't really tell you what it is. Uh, most people think it's a gift you don't deserve. Correct? Is that true? It's okay. You can respond to me. I was just in Switzerland. It took me a few dynamites to get the brethren to say amen. So <clears throat> I hope I don't have to do that here. Uh, and so when you think of the unmerited idea, the concept, it really does not convey uh, what it really is. For example, if I came to you and I gave you a gift and you said, what is it? I said, you don't deserve it. Does that tell you what it is? Yes or no? No, it doesn't really tell you what it is. It just tells you you don't deserve it, whatever it is. Some people think it's just unmerited uh, pardon, pardon you don't deserve. But I want to, to delve into the topic today and, um, and get into this wonderful word that we sing about so much, grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. When you think of 
pardon you don't deserve, you think of forgiveness. And obviously you and I do not deserve forgiveness. But if all that God was offering to us was forgiveness, then we could go to one of these places. How many of you ever went to a confessional? Can I see your hands? Only one poor soul. Well, you and I are, are together in this. I remember my first, my first ever, and I think my last, confession. I didn't know what to do. Uh, I was told you had to say, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. And you had to cross yourself. So I went in there, crossed myself, said, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. I have to tell you, I was petrified, uh, scared to death. And especially since when you went into the booth, it was kind of dark inside. And you didn't know what to expect. All of a sudden, from the other side, I heard this voice, what have you done? <laughs> and it, it, it's frightened me. And so very quickly, I had to come for, to an answer. And I told him a fib. And he said, all right, all you have to do is say a few Hail Marys and, uh, and a few Our Fathers and get a candle for a quarter and you'll be okay. And I thought, man, that was easy. So I left that place. I went in the devil. I came out of the worst devil. Uh, if God is only offering us forgiveness, then you and I will have to be confessing for all eternity. And I'm grateful for forgiveness. I by no means am trying to belittle forgiveness. But God has given to us something greater than forgiveness. And since it is more than forgiveness, then grace must be something more. And if you have your Bibles, if you don't, that's okay. You can trust that what I put up appears correct. If you don't trust me, then you better get it out of your Bible. All right. Uh, notice Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19. Notice what it says. What is the exceeding greatness of his what? What's the next word? Power to us word who believe according to the working of his mighty power. I want you to notice that word power. In the book of Acts chapter 4 and verse 33, it says, with great power gave the apostles witness of the Resurrection of whom? Of Jesus. And it says that great grace was upon them all. Now, if they had had little power, then they would have had little grace. But it was great grace that gave them great power. So little grace, little power, great grace, great power. It was then the power of God that enabled them to do what in their own human ability they could never accomplish. Grace, then, is power. Paul puts it this way, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the what? Power. The power of God unto what? Salvation. Salvation. Now, I want you to notice his wording, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. It's interesting that if Paul had preached and nothing had occurred, if the drunkard had not become sober, if the wife-beater had not become a loving husband, if the thief had not become an honest man, then Paul could have been ashamed, for nothing would have happened or transpired from what he was doing. But because he saw credible evidence that what he was 
preaching about actually accomplished something in the lives of people, then he could say, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power. The actual word power actually is in the Greek dunamis. And the word dunamis is where we get the word dynamite. Now I want you to notice something interesting about this. When Jesus was here on earth, the Bible says that virtue went out from Christ. Do you remember that? How many of you remember that? Virtue went out from Christ. Now look at that text. It says, And the whole multitude sought to touch him, for there, there went out what? Virtue. And I looked up the Greek this morning at 1 o'clock this morning, and what do you suppose it, it, the word was? Dunamis. So, what went out of Christ? Power. And it says, out of him and healed them all. So, what was it that actually healed those people? The power or grace, exactly. So, when you think of, of the word grace, too often times I hear brethren say, unmerited favor. And they feel kind of, kind of uh, smug about that because they come up with a theological uh, definition. But really, the, the definition really does not convey what God is really speaking about. God is speaking about providing for you and for me that which you and I don't have in order to accomplish that which you and I cannot accomplish in our own ability or in our own strength. God provides wonderful power. Will you say amen to that? And so, divine grace is the great element of what? Saving power. Without it, how much? All human effort is what? Unavailing. God provides wonderful grace for us. In fact, Paul puts it this way. Now unto him that is able to do, what's the word there? Exceeding, what else? Abundantly, what else? Above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Good news, what do you say? Amen. That works in us. I've heard a lot of preachers on the radio and television expound upon grace and say that grace came with Jesus Christ when Jesus came. And that prior to, to that, people were saved by the law in the Old Testament. People were saved by grace in the New Testament. But the Scripture actually contradicts that. Notice 2 Timothy 1.9, it says, Who have saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His what? Purpose. Own purpose. And what's the next word? Grace. And grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus when? before the world was. You see, the problem is that a lot of people do not understand that Christ did not just appear on this earth for the first time 2,000 years ago. Christ was the and is the Creator. What do you say? And since He is the Creator, with Him is this power. So the power was available to mankind right from the beginning of the world. In Titus it says that it is grace that appeared unto how many? unto all man. Therefore, nobody has ever been saved apart from, nor shall ever be saved apart from, this wonderful thing called grace. 
Otherwise, if people could have been saved in the Old Testament apart from grace, then they had and the ability that you and I do not have, and therefore they were in better shape than you and I are. And therefore they can boast that they save themselves by their own bootstraps or with their own bootstrap. So, you can see from the scriptures then that grace has been around. In fact, we're told that Noah found what? Grace. grace. Where did Noah find grace? Well, Noah found grace back before the flood. And it's interesting that Noah needed grace because the Bible says that in his day, the earth was full of people whose imagination and thoughts of his heart was what? Evil continually. Now, I don't know if you sense what's going on in the world today, but what is going on in the world today is precisely the condition that existed in the times of Noah. Man's mind is continually what? Evil. Uh, everything that you see, when you fly in a plane, I'm thankful for computers today because at least you can either sleep or work. Otherwise, you're, you're captured by those uh, little videos that are in front of you. and. Uh, <coughs> When I open my eyes, sometimes I don't know which position I'm in when I go to sleep, you see. So when I open my eyes, I get smacked by somebody exploding somebody else or destroying somebody else or something like that. It seems like what people are watching mostly on the airplane is how this guy uh, can destroy this guy and how he's able to escape, etc. Uh, violence, violence, violence. Uh, it's just continually evil. And the kids' video games, what, it, what is it that they're doing all the time? The same thing. And so, man's mind is bent on evil continually. No wonder Stephen Hawkins says that if we could keep from destroying ourselves for the next 100 years, enough technology can be developed that could take us off the planet and disperse us to different planets. See? That's his answer to our survival. You understand what I'm saying? The only problem is that he doesn't realize that he's behind times. Because Jesus said a long time ago, you've got to get off the planet. What do you say? He just said it in simple words. Let not your heart be troubled. You'll believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. I go and prepare a place for you. If I go, I'm going to take you off the planet. What do you say? Amen. Amen? And so, the, 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 the whole mindset is, even the scientists recognize that there's such a pressure on self-destruction that if somehow we can keep back from destroying ourselves, we'll be able to get off the earth, and then one atrocity will not uh, destroy all of us at once. Noah found grace. Israel found grace. The Bible says then that Israel found grace in the wilderness. Jeremiah 31, verse 2. Now this it says, Thus saith the Lord, the people which were left of the sword found what? Grace. grace in the wilderness, even Israel. And so grace has always been around. Now why is it that you and I need that healing power? Why the need for grace? Well, the Bible says that the Ethiopian cannot figure out how to change his skin. And Michael Jackson was not Ethiopian. Jeremiah 13, 23, it says, Can the Ethiopian do what? Change his what? His skin. Ethiopians don't have spots. Can the Ethiopian change his skin? Can the leopard change his spots? Okay. Neither can you that are accustomed to doing what? Evil. 
Now, as professionals, we don't like to see ourselves as people who, who constantly do evil. But from the Scripture's perspective, there's no question that all of us, uh, when we get home and put our title away, we end up being human again. Brethren, is that true? Do you hear what I said? I mean, you may be Dr. So-and-so in your office. You're daddy at home, period. Is that true? Or you're hubby, or you're honey. All your professionalism disappears when you get home. So we're all human, and we all have the same difficulties. We all are challenged by something called sin. And the Bible says that where sin abounds, grace does much more what? Abound. That's good news. Where sin abounds, what abounds more? Grace does much more abound. Now, when you think of, of uh, sin and grace, you recognize that the reason why there's grace is because there's sin. Is that true? Sin uh, brings about the necessity for something that can destroy it or keep it in check. But God does not just want to keep it in check, God wants to destroy it. Therefore, somehow, you and I need to avail ourselves of this which God provides, which you and I do not have of ourselves. Grace is as real, we're told, as the air that we breathe. It's as real as gravity. Even though you've never seen gravity, you know it exists because when you step off something, you know you're going to head down and not up. You don't feel gravity, is that true? You don't see gravity, you know it's there once you experience it. Do you hear what I said? You know it's there when? Once you experience it. If you've never fallen, you would never know gravity existed. You have to experience it. And God says that this healing power, it's available to all of us. Because God wants us to overcome sin, He has to provide that which you and I do not have. So, grace is more potent than sin. That's great news. I think you recognize that in medicine, when people have some kind of disease, you like to find something that's more potent than the disease so that you can bring somebody back to homeostasis. Is that correct? Yes? And so God has already provided an antidote for that which has uh, plagued the human race. God provides grace. Now, sin is that which violates the principles of God. And uh, Paul, recognizing his inability to cope with life, 
and to cope with sin, prayed for God to give him something that would relieve him from his problem. But the answer that Paul received from God was, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength. And again, the word for strength is what? Dunamis. Is made perfect in what? Weakness. Most gladly then, I would rather glory in my infirmities that the, what's the next word? And what's the word again? Dunamis of Christ may what? Rest upon me. The translator obviously recognized that uh, these words were synonymous, and therefore it was translated strength, power. But the actual word could have been, my grace is sufficient for you, for my grace is made perfect in weakness, that the grace of Christ may rest upon me. You would say the same thing. Recognizing then that the need of grace, Paul also understood that just as grace was sufficient for him to be able to deal with whatever challenges he had in life, it was also sufficient for him to accomplish what needed to, to be done. It is also sufficient to turn people around that he worked with and that he preached to. I remember one time I was preaching in uh, Waitara Church in Australia, and I made an appeal. At the end of the appeal, a young man came to me and he said, look, I need to talk with you privately. I said, sure. So his sister was uh, there with him and she waited in the sanctuary while we departed and went into a close room. And he then confessed to me that he was a heroin addict and that he was presently going through withdrawals and he was in severe pain. And he wanted to be delivered and so I said, do you believe with all your heart that God can deliver you? He said, yes. And he was now weeping and he was agonizing with me to please help him. And I said, you know, I can't help you, but God can. So I said, let's kneel down together. You pray and from your, the, the, the depth of your heart, ask God for deliverance. And then I will do the same. So we knelt down and that young man just agonized with God and wept before God. And I have to confess to you that I also wept with him. And uh, also I prayed. And I asked God for power into this young man's life that he could be delivered. Well, you know, we got up. Nothing happened immediately. But when we went back into the sanctuary, the sister was waiting for us. And we, we were standing there together talking. And all of a sudden he said, it's gone. It's gone. It's gone. He was delivered. By what? By the power. I can identify with Paul because I've been to many places where I preached the Word of God and the grace of God has delivered people. I remember one time I was in Jacksonville, Florida holding a tent meeting and uh, it was in those days that we used slide projectors so we had to turn down the lights, you understand. And it was dark in there but I, as I began to preach I saw a hulk of a man come in sat in the back. I could just tell by his outline that he was a a big man, and he was with a woman. As soon as I finished, he disappeared. Didn't get to meet him. Next night, he came in and sat closer. The following night, he came in and sat even closer. And so, I made an appeal then for anyone who wanted to commit their hearts to God to come forward. 
man and his wife came, they were weeping. This guy was a hawk of a man. Uh, he had a handlebar mustache, bald-headed, looked like Mr. Clean. And uh, uh, his, his muscles were, were huge. And the guy was a power lifter. I don't know if you are acquainted with that term, a bodybuilder, power lifter. Power lifters usually lift 400, 500, 800 pounds, you understand? And so he was a hawk of a guy. And he was weeping. And he said, I don't know what's wrong with me. He said, I've never cried in all my life. He said, what's happening to me? And I said, well, tell me about yourself. He said, look, can God forgive me? I said, sure, God can forgive you. He said, you don't know who I am. You don't know what I've done. How do you know God can forgive me? I said, I don't know who you are, and I don't know what you've done, but I know who God is and what God can do. So I said, what do you think you've done that God can't forgive you? He said, I killed 3,500 people. So I said, how did you do that? He said, when I was a kid, my father was an atheist. He was a hired gun. But one of the things I hated about dad is he was always having to hide. So he said, I began to lift weights so I can beat up every kid on the block. And I just loved the sight of blood, but I could never bring myself to kill somebody because I didn't want to hide like my dad. I hated that. So when I was 17, I joined the military, went into the army, volunteered for Vietnam, and became a helicopter pilot of the Cobra helicopter and volunteered for every search and destroy mission. And he said, I loved every moment of it. I can kill as many people as I wanted to, and he was legal. I didn't have to hide. And he said, I counted 3,500 bodies that I snuffed out. And he said, I loved every moment of it until I came to this place here. He said, look, I want to tell you honestly, when I came to this place, I came to stir trouble up. He said, my wife and I love to go to bars and tease somebody, hoping that they want to fight with us so I can just grab their faces and twist them. This fellow was a mean brute. But he came to the tent to start trouble, and trouble did start. And now he was in trouble. And he said, can God forgive me? And I shared with him 1 John 1, 9. You know that, that text, don't you? If we what? We confess our sins, he is what? Faithful and what? Just to what? And stops there? What's next? And cleanse us from what? All unrighteousness. He said, can this be true? I said, it's the word of a gentleman. He said, what do I have to do? Kneel down, confess to God what you've done. Ask him for forgiveness and to change your heart. He's unwilling to do anything. We knelt down together. And that big hulk of a guy just wept like a baby and committed himself to God. And by God's grace, I had the joy of baptizing that big hulk of a guy. And he became a wonderful big teddy bear. Ah, the grace of God. What do you say? The grace of God. Listen. The scripture reveals then that grace is provided for us, notice what it says, and find grace to help in what? In time of what? Of need. God is anxious to provide for us that which you and I do not have. You know, as, as medical professionals, you have an advantage as Adventists over the other physicians. You have a power available to you that they do not have. Not because it's not available to them. It's simply because once you know about it, you can take advantage of it. What do you say? Amen. Now, 
This whole matter of, of grace is something that has affected my life, and that's why I said I can identify with, with Brother Paul in the scriptures. My uh, mother raised six of us boys, only five in the picture here. The oldest one is not there presently. But my mother uh, and my father were living together in Puerto Rico. That's where I was born. I happened to be the one over there. And I was born in, in a place called El Fanguito, which means a, a little mud place. And in those days, it was the poorest, poorest, poorest place in uh, Puerto Rico. In fact, it was out on the bay. They could not live on the, on the land. And the, the houses, or should I say the shacks, were built on stilks over the bay. And the only time the toilet flushed was when the tide came in. Otherwise, we kids had to walk through all of that stuff to get to, to shore. And uh, in that little shack made of tin and cardboard and whatever uh, they found is where we were living at the time. My mother had a best friend who uh, didn't have a place to stay. So mother invited her to come and stay at our shack. And she stayed for several months my understanding uh, from my mother's uh, side. And finally, uh, she left, but she left with my father. So she uh, ran off with, with my dad and left my mother with six, six children in that miserable condition. And uh, I finally remember, I must have been about four years old, my little girl, my little sister, uh, who died was only about two years old. I remember when my little sister died, and this is my first recollection of mother, uh, agony and her hate for this woman. Because my little sister died. She was adorable. She was precious to us five boys. We always fought over who's going to hold the next. Mother could dress her like a little precious doll, and it did, didn't matter to us. Many times we would wear blouses or whatever we could find uh, to wear, but it was okay. Mother took care of that little baby, and uh, we just rejoiced. And then she got sick, pneumonia, and uh, in those days, mother had no, no way to get help. The baby just got worse and worse and worse, and it just shattered us. It was the only thing that brought joy to our family. And when she died, uh, it was a real blow to my mother. And I remember her. Uh, saying, God, wherever that woman is, curse her. Curse her. And so, mother uh, finally met another fella and moved us from El Fanguito to another place called El Ultimo Chance. In English, the last chance. That's the name of the place. And it was up in a, in a, in a knoll of a hill, and uh, mother, uh, with a machete, uh, took care of us, built her own little shack, and finally found a man who, who took her, and uh, he began to be our stepfather. And she kept on hear, hearing from a woman who was quite well off that uh, she ought to go to the land of good and plenty, New York City. And she would boast about the, the buildings that scraped the skies and so forth. You can find money in the streets, you understand. Well, my mother just uh, couldn't imagine uh, a place that this buildings would scrape the skies and you can find money in the streets. 
So she began to, to plan with my stepfather, and finally worked it out that three of us were taken to New York City. I remember going, getting to Williamsburg, New York, and uh, I remember seeing for the first time a Jew, a Hasidic Jew. Uh, and uh, we were scared because we were told as little boys that the, the, uh, the Jews had crucified Christ. See? So we were, we were very worried about that. But anyway, stepdad left us in a one-room tenement. The, the bathroom and toilet were in the hallway in those days. And uh, mother then kept us there while dad went back to Puerto Rico to work to make enough money to bring the other three boys over and we would be united. Well, in several months, mother got a telegram. And the telegram was, stepdad died. And mother was in New York City without any help, couldn't speak English, and uh, three boys on one side of the world, three boys on the other side of the world. And mother was desperate. And I remember her saying, Dios mío, ayúdame. My God, help me. She was a woman of prayer. But also, she was a, a human. And I remember while she would say, Dios mío, ayúdame, she would say, maldito sea, God curse that woman, wherever she is, wherever she is, curse her. And I can remember her telling us uh, when we were older, she said, if I ever can get a hold of that woman, I will tear her eyes out. So much hatred mother had for that woman. Well, anyway, I don't know how mother worked it out. Everybody got together, and we began to grow up in New York City. And finally, mother contracted cancer. In those days, in the 50s, there was no uh, hope. You got cancer, even if they did surgery, maybe you'll live six months. And uh, that was the news given to us. And to us, she was all that we had. And so the, 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 the thought that in six months, we would have no mother was uh, very difficult on us. And I could remember mother praying. Dios mío, she said, don't take me. Because if I go, who will take care of my children? Please, God, let me live until the boys can defend themselves. Then you can take me. I remember her prayer. And she talked to God like she was talking to a friend. And so she did get surgery, had a hysterectomy. And they said, maybe six months. Well, she lives till she was 86. In spite of the fact that she contracted cancer again the second time. This time they had to do a mastectomy. And you know, when you get cancer the first time, and you make it, and you get cancer the second time, you know what that means, right? How many people actually make it? Very few. But mother was a praying woman, as I've said. But at the same time, she had this, this anger, this rancor against that woman. Well, in the meantime, while mother's going through all of this grief and all that, we're growing up in Brooklyn in the, in the height of the, the uh, what you call the, the, uh, the Italian-Puerto Rican gang wars that took place, the West Side Story scenario. Uh, my brother was the president of the largest gang in New York, the, the Dragons. My other brother was a terrorist. And so we were all involved in extracurricular activities. But anyway, mother had no idea what was going on. And thank God she didn't, because with the little she knew, it just devastated her. My brother Hector was always in prison, always in prison, always in prison. She would always have to go out and see him. Anyway, my dad then had gone to Chicago, and while in Chicago, he left that woman and went yet with another woman. He was a womanizer. He was a drink, drinker. He was a fighter. Loved to fight. 
Well, the third woman, um, this is her picture, Lolita. Lolita did not know anything about my dad. She told me later on if she had known that he had abandoned kids, he would, she would have never married him. But once she was married, she began to hear a program called La Voz de la Esperanza, the voice of prophecy. And as she listened, the grace of God began to mysteriously work in her heart. But she was a smart little cookie. She, she decided she wanted to get her hubby to take Bible studies. So she said, look, I can get a diploma from this course, but I need your help. I can't find my way through the Bible. And if you would just help me and fill out the, the lessons, uh, that would help me to get that diploma. Well, he thought that was a good idea. And so he began to help her. Well, imperceptibly to him, what do you think happened? The grace of God began to work in his heart. And finally, by God's grace, he was baptized. This was baptism by Elder Gorenson, a Dane. Well, once he was baptized, he and Lolita, uh, he confessed to Lolita the whole scoop. And Lolita then felt horrible, but she said, look, we've got to do something about those kids. And so they left Chicago, went to New York City to live in New York to try to bring to us the grace of God. Well, it took 10 years because by that time, I was also very hateful toward my dad uh, because I knew he had abandoned us to die. He left my mother to take that care of, of us and go through all the misery, etc. And by this time, who needed him? So when he came around, we, 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 uh, we were very disrespectful. We didn't appreciate him being around. And uh, we thought he'd become a Jew because he went to church on Saturday. I didn't know what, we didn't know who he was or what he was doing. We just thought, this is weird. And my mother said to, to us, he said, He's, that guy is religious because his conscience, he can't bear it. But he, she said to us, not even God himself can serve that, save that wretch. Well, Dad kept on witnessing. And finally, about 10 years afterwards, one of the boys, Willie, uh, became an Adventist. And then the second boy, the oldest boy, became an Adventist with his wife. The grace of God began to, to have its work in our family. Then I was in show business at the time, playing with Bill Hale in the Comets. How many of you remember Bill Hale in the Comets? Rock around the clock. Any of you remember? One, two, three o'clock, four o'clock, rock. Okay. Uh, I was a bass player for that group. So I arrived home, and as I arrived home, I discovered these guys were becoming Adventists. Frankly, I didn't know what that was. I thought it was the name of some disease. <laughs> I'm serious. And so, because they act weird, they were different. Anyway, they began to tell me that the change of experience was because of God. And even though I was supposed to go on a world tour with the Comets, we were going to go compete with the Beatles, I couldn't help but recognize that there was something different in my brothers that I had never seen before. And I began to wonder, because two years before that, I was in a drug party, and in that drug party, while all of us were intoxicated or inebriated or high, we began to discuss the issue of God. Remember somebody raised the question, who is God? We spent all night long talking about God. And I remember vividly, very, 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 uh, I remember the minute discussions we had and the, the details that we discussed about God. But as I left, I thought to myself, man, if there's a God, we're all in serious trouble. So I pushed that thought away. 
And now I'm confronted with these boys, my brothers, who possibly have found God. That was a frightening thought to me. But the conviction began to, 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 to overwhelm me so much so that I decided I needed to test it and see whether or not it was real. And I discovered the reality of the grace of God in a dance. I went to a dance because I wanted to, I was a dancer, professional dancer, and I wanted to, to, uh, to prove to myself that I could not be religious because I could not live without the fun and excitement. So I went to the dance, and I danced until midnight. By that time, I was tired. And I uh, went up to the balcony, looked down. As I was looking down from the balcony, I saw all these people down there doing the monkey, the, 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 dog, the waddle, the, the dog, the, the chicken, etc. And those were the names of the dancers. And while they were, they were uh, doing the gyrations, I was looking down. Before, I used to look down with admiration. Oh, look at that girl. Look how she could whack like a monkey, etc. But as I was looking down, I was struck with horror. I was seeing evolution in reverse. I was seeing people thinking that, that this was living. And I was struck with disgust. And I thought to myself, if that's living, who needs it? And I looked to the ceiling and I said, God, if you're there, do for me what you've done for my brothers. And I left from that place determined that I was going to find that God that changed my brother's lives and my dad's life and Lolita's life. And finally, I experienced that wonderful thing called grace. Listen, instantly. What did I say? Instantly. I knelt down and prayed for the first time. I had tears rolling down my cheek for the first time. And I began to beg God to take away from me those particular habits that I had. And I felt a peace come over me. When I stood, I was, I was sure, as sure as I am right now, that they were no longer part of my life. And thank God they have never been. 41 years, and I've never had the desire for alcohol, for smoke, for drugs, etc. Praise God. Let me say, the grace of God is real. Did you hear what I'm saying? So then I became a preacher. My brother Gene became a preacher. Gene Torres, he works at the Forum of the Conference. And then all of us became Adventists. I mean, it became like a dominoes, except my brother, the last of the Mohicans, uh, the, the criminal. Anyway, I became a preacher and moved to New Mexico, and Gene moved to Chicago. And uh, there... We invited Mother to come and hear me preach for the first time in Spanish. Well, Mother did not know that Jean had been knocking on doors and discovered Lady Number Two and invited her to come and listen to me preach. She said, do you remember him, Luisito? Oh, yeah, I love that little boy. She would hold me, she said. And, uh, well, he's a grown man now. He's a minister. Wouldn't you like to hear him? Oh, yeah, I'd love to hear him. Well, mother came, and here we were waiting in front of the church on Sabbath, and my brother says, I need to go and do something. I'll be right back. Mother had no idea, and that lady had no idea. You understand? Finally, he comes back. My mother's standing there in the church, uh, in the entry of the church, waiting for her son to return. And when, when the door opens, she, she looks, lifts up her eyes, and lo and behold, it's not my brother. It's that woman. And as soon as that woman entered into the door and saw my mother, she recognized her immediately. And she turned pale white. I'll never forget that. Uh, she, was, she was just stricken with fear. And 
I wondered what mother would do. Would she tear the woman's eyes out? Do you understand? You hear what I'm saying? I mean, 35 years of misery and suffering that she accredited to this, this woman, and now she's right there. And what I saw was wonderful. I saw my mother's cheeks begin to quiver. I saw tears start running down her face. And I saw her do something that just, just moved us. She opened up her arms. She stepped forward. She grabbed that, that fear-stricken woman. She pressed her to her bosom, kissed her on her cheek, and wept. My friends, listen. Only the grace of God can do that in the human heart. What do you say? Amen. Only God's grace can effect that kind of change in the human heart. Grace, virtue that flows from our master to others. Virtue that is able to change us, to give us victory over the things that we cannot have victory over by our own strength. Many of us, many of us, struggle with things in our lives, perhaps bitterness, rancor, hate, inabilities, jealousies. Many of us struggle with all sorts of things that somebody has done to us, either intentionally or unintentionally. Many times we struggle with these feelings. Some of us struggle with habits that we can't seem to overcome. And we spend our time confessing, 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 confessing. But listen, folks. Could it be that the problem that we have today is the problem that that missionary had? He never connected the power. You hear what I'm saying? Listen, in conclusion, this is my mother and my dad, and th this is the boy that I was talking to you about as a criminal. We, we all got together for his baptism, and that's a baptism, the last one Mohegan made it. Praise God, what do you say? You know, my mother prayed. She said, Dios mío, my God, don't let me go until the last of my boys is in. And mother had the joy of seeing her prayers answered by the grace of God, what do you say? And mother finally went to her grave, to which we look forward to the time when the great life giver will be able to pull her out of the grave again by that power that is his. All power is given unto me. All grace is given unto me in heaven and in earth. You and I, friends, don't need to keep wrestling and asking for forgiveness. I'm thankful forgiveness is there. You and I need to tap into that power which will give us victory over those sins. What do you say? Amen. Whatever besetment we have, it's available to us. My grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient. My mother, thank God, 
connected to that power and it changed her life. We have experienced the grace of God in our lives and we have seen many people turn to God because of his grace. Now there's a statement, the grace of Christ is the only what? Antidote or preventive for what? For evil. It is by God's grace that healings are performed. I've seen many miraculous healings. I've seen people diagnosed with the biopsies of cancer, the proof that they have the cancer, and by God's grace they have been healed. I have seen all sorts of things that have taken place by God's grace. God's power is just as real today, friends, as it was when our Lord worked on, walked on this earth. Sometimes we forget that. But the reality is that this power is available. Look at this statement. Would that you could what? Conceive, Conceive of what? The rich what? Supplies of what? Grace and power awaiting what? Our demand. What do you say? Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could make the transition from confession to overcoming? What do you say? So what do we have to do? It says that grace is awaiting what? Our demand. Wouldn't it be wonderful today if we can say, God, you're providing this, and I have not connected to it. But while I'm here this weekend, I'm going to connect to it. You offer it, and I'm claiming it. Not in my own merits, but in the merits of your Son, who has made available to us this power to overcome. How many of you can say, Lord, this weekend, I've got some things in my life that I haven't been able to check. But I hear your voice speaking to me, and by your grace, help me to be victor. Anybody want to raise your hand to that? Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father, thank you for your marvelous grace. Thank you for all that you promised to do for us. And Lord, we as your people, you have promised to make this available, and it is available. Forgive us when we have just been claiming forgiveness. Help us to go to the next step and accept the victory that you promised to us through your wonderful Son. In his name we ask it. Amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for Amen, Adventist Medical Evangelism Network. If you would like to learn more about Amen, please visit www.amensda.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.